Hello and welcome to Boxing and Bullshit. I'm your host, Alex Diaz. It's uh, Sunday, December 15th, 2019. We have a few topics to go over. Let's go. So, it was a pretty busy weekend. We had the Virgil Ortiz fight, the Terrence Crawford Mean Machine fight, the Teofimo Lopez versus Richard Comey fight, and then the Mick Conlon fight, which was a rematch from the Olympics, where he flipped off the judges for them uh, as he felt robbing him uh, essentially a gold medal. I'd like to begin with the Virgil Ortiz fight uh, that happened on Friday against Brad Solomon. The fight was supposed to be competitive, show Ortiz different looks because this was more like a defensive-minded fighter who had had some issues, I guess, with like his promoter and like management. I believe he only had, I think, uh, three fights or four fights in the last four years. So it was a step up in competition, but it also wasn't. It was just like a different look for him, right? Because his last fight was against Orozco, who had a very close fight with Jose Ramirez. But this was supposed, this was supposed to be a different type of fighter. This was supposed to be a fighter that wasn't going to make anything easy for him. But somebody else going to be like be defensive minded, have uh, better footwork maybe than he's been accustomed to, and show him angles, and hopefully test him. You know, make make him pay when he would uh, make mistakes. But man, Virgil, he just seems like he's just the real deal. It's been um, a pretty quick rise. Um, he used to fight at 140 pounds, <clears throat> and I guess they decided to move him up to 147. By all accounts, he can make 140. They said he can make 140, and he was fine. But I think they felt like <clears throat> he can. Uh, he has so much more to offer at welterweight. The extra seven pounds seemed like they really helped him out. Uh, this might be his third or fourth fight at welterweight. I think his first one was against uh, Mauricio Herrera. That man, he had never been stopped before. Ortiz hit him with one right hand. That yeah, I was like, holy fuck, dude! Like, that's legitimate one punch. You know, like knockout power. He, he just rattled him. One shot. Boom. Clean shot uh, over the guard and he, he, against the ropes. And he just fucking... <laughs> it was rough, right? In his last fight, Orozco, you know, that was another step up, right? Another young fighter. Someone who had fought in a higher weight class than him. Had also fought good, you know, really good competition. Um... When Orozco fought uh, Ramirez, it was it was that was that was a good fight, really close fight. Two young, talented fighters, <laughs> aggressive fighters. Um, you know he takes that loss, okay, bumps up, jumps up, jumps up to welterweight, fights Virgil, and early on that fight, it looked like it was just gonna be a firefight, right? It's gonna be like two guys just, you know, whoever had the most will and the most power, landed the better shots first. Virgil ended up breaking him down. I think that's that's the longest he's gone, six rounds in a fight. You know, we move forward to this past fight here on Friday. 
he has he's you know he has a little bit of success early on. Um, you see like you see what Solomon's trying to do, you know, just make him pay. He's not like really wasting any punches. He's being defensive, but he's trying to catch him coming in, and Virgil really didn't allow it. He uh, when he when he was hit, it seemed like it was not, like he he didn't feel it. He felt I, I believe by like the fourth round he already felt like I can walk through anything, right? And he man, his, his offense is like it's impressive. It's dude's like I think twenty one years old. The way he breaks down fighters, it it's very impressive. He's I think he's like five ten. Dude's got like broad shoulders. Like he he's a very wide, tall fighter. I want even for one forty seven. He looks big. Like he has. I think that he'll have the ability to move up eventually. He's he's young. But the fact that he's young and he's so skilled, there's like a different dimension to him to where it's like he doesn't fear what's coming back. Maybe it's been the opposition, but at the same time, it's like he reminds you kind of of, let's see, like a Miguel Cotto sometimes um, early in his career when he was like at 140, straight out the Olympics. You know how he would just kind of like demolish guys and um, use his footwork, not necessarily to like make other fighters miss but almost to like force them to make mistakes and then he'd be aggressive in that sense so when Koda was that young he used to like almost like break you down mentally I think with his footwork because then he'd be landing punches that were no surprise to the opponent except I think they'd be surprised with how he hit them with them um Virgil does something like sort of similarly right as I see I see I see like this fight almost uh, reminded me of like the Cotto Victoriano Sosa fight, and uh, I guess that that's how I would um, that's how I'd compare the two. You know, not not to say that Virgil will ever be a Miguel Cotto, but he, I think he really has the ability to be something really really special, especially so young. Like he could still learn; he has plenty of time to learn. But he like he's he's on like a fast track to do whatever like. To be big, he's Golden Boy's best prospect by far. Definitely, I, I man, I gotta I gotta go back like some of his like uh, amateur bouts, but I believe he has some like big, really big wins against uh, some pretty elite opponents, and he's he gets great sparring, man. The whole his camp is stacked. Like you saw, like all the everybody that was at his fight this weekend, you know, everybody from the RGBA. So you had Jose Ramirez there, you had Mikey Garcia there. It just he, he that team is they're gonna get great sparring always. You when you have elite fighters to train with, it they, it's gonna push you. And I, th I think you're seeing early on in his career what just glimpses of not maybe not just being good, but with the potential to be great. So the Teofimo Lopez uh, Richard Comey fight is crazy. The, the, the man, it's a takeover, right? You know, Telfimo's not just here to take, you know, take part. He's here to take over. The dude gets a stoppage in the second round against a very credible champion. Comey, Comey was not the paper champ. You would expect that Comey eventually will work his way back up. 
and hopefully gets another shot at a title because I, th- I really do think the dude's skilled. This is his third loss, but he's gotten better, right? Like, usually fighters after losses, you kind of write them off. Okay, the first loss, all right, it happens. Second loss, that ha- you know, okay, the guy wasn't what we thought he was. But the guy worked his way back up, won a championship. He's like, has plenty to offer the sport. And early on, you just thought, man, this is going to be a firefight. This is going to be really a, just a slugfest. And Teofimo, for his part, he landed the big shot first. And that was a nuclear right hand, dude. Yeah, shit. I fucking felt that one. You know, like he slips, he throws the right hand, boom, lands it, dude. Comey is, he, he, I don't even know what kind of, he did some dance moves. <laughs> you know, like his knee bent, gave out, he stood up, did a stanky leg, you know, he walked it out, like, motherfucker, dude. He was hurt enough to where the fight was over. Like when your legs are gone that way, it's over. And, you know, he go. you know, the ref gives him a standing eight. Comey, you know, goes against the ropes. He He's trying to cover himself up. And Teofimo lets off like 25 shots. And the ref had no choice. No choice to stop it. Two rounds. Two rounds to get that title. And it has to be sweet, you know, with all the all the things that he had going on in the background, like mentioned in the last episode about, you know, his wife and his uh, family, like his parents not getting along, them um, them moving, you know, uh, the training camp. Also, like there's a there's some issues with like even like his mom, right? She used to be his uh, like his cook, right? Like helping him do like. Um, uh, keep him keeping him on track, making sure that he was gonna make weight and all that, and I guess moving her out of the camp, right? Like just kind of saying, you know what? Let's let's just uh, be family, not necessarily like business partners. Let's you know. Um, I think a lot of that really like was affecting him, especially like his last fight. He didn't look very good, but he comes in. He comes in here, and then um, also like hiring like a, like a second trainer, essentially. They do like uh, pad work with them, do like some mitt work, um, and giving him direction. So it's not just his dad anymore. I, everything seemed to work out well. But when you, when you saw the way in, when you saw him the day of the fight, dude was like, sh- like absolutely ripped, shredded. Uh, I did scene where um, Chris Mannix and like Coppinger had kind of, they had said that, you know, seeing him in camp, he like he looked great. So, but he's he's on track, and he's been calling out Lomachenko for a while. So he wins the title, and now they're saying March, uh, March twenty eighth, I believe, next year, we'll see Teofimo fighting Loma. And it's a hell of a Styles matchup, because Teofimo, like he, he went to Olympics too. You know, you have like the very, the very, very, very best. Amateur fighter, probably of all time, in Vasily Lomachenko. And you have this big, lightweight. This, the, you know, at, at one, 
at 130, Delfimo is is a big dude. He's talked about it plenty of times that after Loma, he's moving up. Once he got once he got that Loma shot, he was going to move up. So expect him to. I I I don't know. Like I think Loma's going to be favored because of like what he's done so far and the kind of opposition he's fought, the footwork, being in one place when opponent thinks he's going to be in another. But stylistically, Teofimo's going to give him a hell of a fight. So it's these are like this is like a competitive fight at the very highest level because Loma can help can outbox anybody from like one twenty six, you know, one thirty, one thirty five maybe. Um, but Teofimo's gonna hang, like he's got the skills and he's got the power. I mean, Linares dropped. Lomachenko. Early on, Salido, I think, um, had hurt Loma. Teofimo has big power. Like, like one, he can put you to sleep. He's put plenty of fighters. He's just, you know, he's just, he's got NyQuil in his hands, you know what I mean? Like, that dude, it's gonna, I'm really, like, really excited that the fight's actually gonna, it's gonna happen. And I'm really hoping it's in Vegas. I hope it's not in New York. Hopefully, they make that fight in Vegas. We're able to go to it because it's just—it's like like a—it's it feels like a like a for the hardcore like a style matchup. It's like a dream matchup for us. We're gonna get to see how good the kid really is, and if he manages to win that fight, oh man, he—he's gonna just shoot up the ranks. Because then you have to ask yourself, like, you know, we—I don't want to get ahead of myself, but if he does happen to win that fight. Where like, where does he go from there? That's just that's superstardom right there. That's, you know, like he's already there. It just everybody else, you know, like the the general public, they're they're gonna have to catch up and get in line because like he's, like dude, he he'll be taking over the sport sooner rather than later if he can manage to figure out how to beat the Matrix. So moving on to the Crawford Cavaliascus fight. There's some some early drama there, man. Uh, Kavalaskis, uh, he showed a better account of himself like, than people thought. You know, the boxing world had written him off. The um, minus uh, 2,090 for Crawford, it didn't look that way early on. You know, the, uh, what, 21-1-1 with 17 KOs. So you knew he had power, but he was really, like, he had a good gauge for like timing, right? So Crawford would move in, and for some reason, Crawford, since the beginning, came out and he was a southpaw. They thought it was going to give him a competitive edge. I actually, I like when he turns southpaw, but I like when he begins in the orthodox or northpaw stance. I little by little, like he starts doing subtle things where it confuses opponents, like switching back and forth. And he's able, I think, to bring fighters in closer to him. And he's able to land, let's say, like a lead right hook when he turns southpaw. And he's able to land the straight right when he's in the orthodox stance. So I always I always do like when he begins uh, in the orthodox stance. So Kovalevskis comes out. First round, not too much work is done. Second round, 
Kavalaskis lands two bombs, two really, really big shots. And they, you know, they, they get Crawford's respect. They startle him, right? In the third round, uh, there's a little bit of controversy just because Kavalaskis lands a right hand. They tangle and Bud goes down. But you can clearly see that the right hand put him like on unsteady legs. And when they kind of tangled up and he goes down, that the, the root cause uh, was the right hand. Because Kavalaskis is even throwing, you know, like left and right hooks as uh, they're, dang they're tangling up. By rule, any punch that leads to a to an opponent's glove touching the mat, knee touching the mat, has to be called a knockdown. And he didn't get credit for it. It was a really good shot. I think uh, it buzzed and, again, really embarrassed Crawford. Because after that, the following rounds, he came out with just determined. He wanted to like impose his will on Kavalaskis. And then you you started to be you started to see like the damage like take a toll on him. Like the mean machine was was still trying and had like, you know, came out, I think and did some really good work in the seventh round uh, early on. But he just became overwhelmed. Uh Bud had you know knocked him down three times, stopped the fight. Uh uh, stop, uh, stop, Kavalaskis, and just showed you that he's he like he they should you know he, his nickname should be the Mean Machine. He just he, he once he has a fighter hurt, it seems like it man he he has this will that I think people see in him that they may not see in other the welterweights, and that's what they like about him. And that's why they consider him to be the best, right? Not just the fact that like he unified or made like uh, 140 like was undisputed champ, but there is like this mean streak to him, to where it sometimes it's not just even the fight. Sometimes like he wins a fight and this motherfucker still has that like that brash, uh, angry like uh, attitude after. It's I, some of the interviews he does, man. You're like, damn, it's, it's like talking to a motherfucking wall. Like this dude. <laughs> He doesn't like laugh too much. He, you know, like he's not super personable. Like he, he's a, like he's got this chip on his shoulder, and him, you know, being hurt early on in the fight only added to that, and it drove him to, you know, make Kowalowskis weaken. You know, hitting him to the body, um, just getting in closer, like stuffing him, cutting off the ring, like he. You know, him for being, like, the boxer of the two, he was the one wanting to engage, wanting to engage, right? That, like, psychologically, that has to, like, take a toll on you. When you're an aggressive fighter and the other guy is pretty much walking you down and he's hurting you and he's got good-ass power, he's hitting you from, from you know, far distance, you have some early success, and it just drives him to be even meaner, to be more aggressive, to, you know, just suffocate you and not let you breathe. It has to take a toll on you. Bud's now, uh, what, 36 and no 27 knockouts? Looking for an opponent.
right? Depending on what Jose Ramirez does, I think that that'll be a super fight. That that's a fight that I would willfully, you know, pay uh, pay per view money for. Um, they have talked about, um, you know, uh, fighting Sean Porter. They tried to make the Danny fight uh, instead of this one, but you know those those talks all fell through because Danny thought he was going to have a shot at either Pacquiao, Spence, or Mikey Garcia. Figuring Mikey Garcia probably the easiest of them all. Um, uh, Manny being the most, you know, you know the best financially, and then you know Spence, the one he'd get the most amount of respect for. But Sean and Bud are actually really good friends. Sean Porter, I think, is in the position similar to not not similar uh, to Bud in the sense where he can't get fights, but he just lost to Spence. He you know he did very well for himself, but Mikey Garcia doesn't seem to want anything to do with the Sean Porter fight, and you can't really blame him. Um, and then you know Danny Garcia kind of like being taken up. What's what's Porter going to do? So. You know, making that fight is going to be, I think, easier than than we suspect. And you know, I like temporarily went on some bullshit rant, fucking after the after the fight, saying that Deontay Wilder is the only real man, you know, in the PBC because he's willing to fight a ESPN fighter and Tyson Fury on pay per view, and that he's not coming up with excuses about being across the street or you're with this promoter, I'm with this other promoter. When, yeah, when, first of all, he's wrong about that because, you know, Deontay, as we, you know, we've said before, like he, he didn't fight Joshua. He got offered $120 million and they didn't fucking fight him. So obviously there's an issue there. But Tim Bradley, he's like, he's like picking and choosing on when he wants fighters to fulfill their obligation to unify, right? So when Bradley fought Pacquiao, Spence was his mandatory, right? So Spence is his mandatory, but he doesn't like he doesn't fight him. So in that theory, Bradley didn't pull up his big boy pants and make the fucking fight happen. Right? Al Heyman and the PBC they don't need to worry about who Crawford's able to fight. That's Bob Arum's job. You know, Crawford just re-signed his deal. He didn't need to stay there. He saw where all the all the other opponents were and where he could have chosen to be and make the fights like easier for himself. I'm not, I'm not saying you have to do that, but if you really wanted to, wouldn't you do that? Now, them arguing about like a 50-50 split or if it'd be like 45-55 and who the fuck the... A side is between him and Spence, you know, if Spence ever comes back and he's healthy. That you're gonna have to secede because you don't you don't have any leverage. What le- what leverage does Crawford have? Right? All the best welterweights, with the exception of Vir- like Virgil or with um with uh, Al Heyman. So they can keep on they're they're actually fighting each other. Danny fought Sean, Danny fought Keith. Keith fought Sean, you know, like, you know, Spence fought Mikey's, you know, Spence fought Sean, like, they're making the fights happen, 
I'm not, I'm not a big PVC guy, but I mean, they're, they're fucking trying. They're trying to do what they need to do to make the fights happen. Al Heyman does not have any obligation to make big fights for Terrence Crawford. Bob Arum needs to either get it through his head. Hey, they're going to have to get the lion's share of the money. And eventually, and it's going to, you know, eventually help you out. Because if we feel you can beat them, take less money. Lots of fighters did it back in the days with Oscar. The fighters did it against Floyd. And, you know, some were close to actually beating him. Like Maidana, like he made, um, he had his first fight. Showed it, like, it was a close fight. Boom, let's do it again, right? And you, you'll get paid. And that's like life-altering money. So Crawford is in a position where they're going to have to fight Jose Ramirez. They're going to have to, like, they're going to have to fight if they fight like PBC fighters, depending on what they're willing to offer, it's, it's going to probably be like the fifth ranked Walter weight. Because you, you have to. You have to do something drastic to make these fights and to build your name up. His best wins to this point are still Yuriarkis Gamboa, who is a featherweight, who's like fucking five foot two, you know, a small dude. Facing you, I believe at like 5'8", you're bigger, like stronger, you don't have a weak chin, and he hurt you. And then fighting Victor Postal. So, those two fights are your very best wins. Yes, we understand you're an extremely talented fighter. But you have to do something to prove that you're a huge star, and that you're that it's a, it'd be a lucrative fight for everybody involved. And you're going to have to be willing to secede. Like, so, you know, some, some money, what, like, you know, I think location, all that. But if you really believe you're the best and you keep saying you want to challenge yourself, and he's kind of actually, like, he's deviated from that because this week he kind of he, he kind of said he doesn't know how long he's going to keep on fighting. He doesn't know what's next. It's, it's his job just to pretty much fight. And, you know, he would be content with himself if his career ended today, knowing what he was able to accomplish. And yeah, he'd be a little bummed out if he wasn't able to make the big fights happen. Now, Bob Arum was on IFL TV talking about um, the conversations that he had had with Al Heyman before Spence got injured. You know, before before Spence had that, that accident, they were already, you know, they, they were in a good position as far as like, where this fight was going to go. You know, um, and being able to make it, right? Now, Spence is hurt, and Bob didn't want to give up his source. But he did say more than once that he felt that Spence was never going to fight again. He said he had credible sources telling him that Spence was not going to be the same and that he wasn't going to be able to maybe in the ring when we'd want, or if ever again. And that that's the reason we haven't really been seeing pictures or have, have had any news about him. And that's the reason that the PBC hadn't put him on, on TV. So that now, moving forward, they're actually just talking about Sean Porter. And they've completely gone away from talking about Terrence Bud Crawford fighting Errol, the truth, Spence. Uh, last piece of news from this week that um, was announced was uh, something we had seen you know, for the last few weeks, maybe last month, about... Um, just rumblings about Mikey Garcia signing to DAZN. 
Uh, he signed with Eddie Hearn. It's a one-fight deal. It's not really too much to get excited over. He should be fighting Jesse Vargas uh, in the new year, early on in the first quarter. And it's pretty much like a trial-like um, deal. Just Eddie Hearn has been very vocal about wanting Mikey Garcia, paying him the kind of money he feels he deserves to reel Mikey in, you know, pretty much, you know, uh, and to try and attract other opponents and other fighters that come to the zone. So he's he's talked about, you know, if um, if Mikey beats Jesse, which he should, then trying to offer him more deals and saying, hey, look, this is what we would pay you to fight Manny Pacquiao, right? We can work with them. This is what we would pay you to fight Crawford on the zone. This is what we would pay you to fight Josh Taylor. It's, you know, like they see him as like a pot of gold. And a commodity to bring people in, right? So you'd have essentially anybody from 135 to 147. And they would be willing to pay him very big money to make any of those fights happen. Eddie's, he he seems more concerned with putting on good fights for his own than he does signing fighters. He wants subscriptions. He wants to show that he's able, that he's doing his part and bringing in an audience for them, regardless of whether his fighters win or even if they sign any kind of uh, deals for him. He wants to give Mikey the kind of guidance that a promoter can do that an Al Heyman doesn't do, right? So Al Heyman's a manager, and he's had those lawsuits because people are like, oh, well, he's, he's kind of mixing like what he's doing. Is he a promoter? Is he a manager? Is he stopping fights from happening? You know, like, it, all fighters need direction. They need, they need a plan, right? So this, this is who we want you to fight, you know, in three months. This is who we see you fighting in six months. This is who we see you fighting a year from now. This is where we want your career to go. And we're going to build you up, and this is what we're going to do. And you're going you're gonna to make money. You're going you, to build up a resume that eventually you know, can, we can put you down as an all-time great. Mikey Garcia is going to bring to the zone something that they don't really have right now. Because at welterweight... They're lacking a little, other than like Virgil Ortiz, and and they would never fight each other. They're in the same camp, you know. It's a Robert Garcia Boxing Academy. It's a team. They 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 wouldn't fight. But he's gonna be able to bring other people to that platform, and they'll be able to make some pretty big matchups if they're able to keep them, uh, you know, happy, paid, and if he feels that his name's and his brand is growing, so it it. It's kind of exciting because I think we're going to start seeing more competitive fights at welterweight on that platform. And this, you know, the Garcia um, Jesse Vargas fight is going to be the very first one. And I think Vargas is going to give him some issues early on. He's taller, he's faster. Um, he just, Jesse's just not, he's not really great at anything, he's just kind of good all around. While Mikey, you know, except for fighting a, a Spence, who like so much bigger than him, wasn't really able to, you know, he looked 
he didn't he, he didn't look like he belonged in the welterweight division, but he refuses to leave it. So it's gonna be uh it's gonna be interesting on what fights are gonna be able to make and how he's gonna look at that. And I think that like this first fight here against Vargas is gonna kind of show us a lot because if he can't beat him, he he's definitely not gonna be you know like him fighting uh, Danny Swift Garcia. It's gonna it, it's not gonna. It's not going to look too good. Him fighting, you know, him fighting uh, Sean Porter wouldn't look too good. I think Porter is a little too aggressive for him. Too strong, too aggressive for Mikey Garcia. I mean, a Keith Thurman, Mikey Garcia fight does make sense. I'd love to see that happen. And then definitely a Mikey Garcia, Manny Pacquiao fight would be awesome to watch. So that pretty much concludes the uh, third, now third, well, third episode of our Boxing and Bullshit podcast. Um, pretty excited uh, I'm really enjoying uh, doing this and just you know talking it's you know um, I actually uh, I got to see my cousins yesterday and I made a bet and I got you know, I got to put it out there me and uh, me and the cousin Javi we made a hundred dollar bet on the uh, Gamboa uh, Davis fight I don't know what the fuck you I don't know what you're drinking Javi there's no fucking way you're Yarkis Gamboa a featherweight who's very chinny is going to manage to beat Gervonta Davis. I don't know what the fuck you're thinking, bro. I, you maybe you like giving me money. You know what I mean? Like we might, we might need to start making more bets. You know, <laughs> like, but there's no, it's not going to happen. It's just, it's just not going to happen. But I'm gonna hold you to it. Uh, I think uh, we actually uh, sat down yesterday. We talked about him coming on. Coming over to the house, maybe bringing one of his cousins, and then just chopping about boxing, the betting odds. Actually, um, we talked about how much more exciting that makes fights, right? Like, if you do like prop bets, you bet on a certain round, like you really, really hope for it. And then when you hit on that round, oh man, I remember I just been, I mentioned to him, I actually hit on the uh, the uh, Ricky Hatton Floyd Mayweather fight. I hit the exact round. That shit was pretty cool. Um, the um, we got the uh, Charlo Harrison uh, fight here at the Citizens Business Bank Arena in Ontario, or I think it's called the Toyota Arena now. I'm not. I'm not even sure. Um, but that's gonna be here in Ontario. Uh, we're gonna be going to it. He did say that one of his cousins is fighting uh, on the undercard, so uh, we'll probably go maybe with some family watch that fight. Also excited because the Buffalo Bills uh, clinched uh, playoff berth. You know, ten and four. It's uh, you know week fifteen and. We're on our way, you know. The bills are looking good, so I'm excited about that. I was going nuts yesterday, you know, yelling, screaming. My dog's all scared, so it's just uh, uh, it's good, you know. It, we got what well, we're nine days away from Christmas, and everything's looking good. So, thank you, everybody. Thanks for listening. Have yourselves a great day. You know, have fun. Thank you.